Theology of the Body Institute. This is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ask Christopher West Podcast, co-hosted by my dearly beloved... Hi, Wendy West. Here I am. Wendy is in the house. It's really been fun for me traveling at speaking events. People come up to me all the time and say, oh, we're listening to your podcast. We really love hearing Wendy. It's so surprising to me, but thank you, everyone. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, and we, we shared in a previous podcast that one comment that your voice is, is like a hug. <laughs> and uh, somebody somebody recently came up to me at an event. This was in Toronto just uh-huh. last week. And said, "Well, we've been listening to your podcast, and and Wendy's voice is." This guy like reached his hands out like he was going to give me a hug, and I said, "Are you the guy who said my wife's voice is like a hug?" And he said, "No, but I heard that." And I said, "That's exactly the way I feel." So it's uh, true. That's so sweet. But it's also true that we all have foibles, and you had a foible yes, recently. It was actually related to my voice. Yes, indirectly related. Because, yes, it is. Yeah, I was. Um, Scheduled to be the cantor at Mass at our local church where I do, I'm regularly on the schedule, but this happened to be a Wednesday evening Mass, so it was out of my ordinary schedule, and I I circled it on the calendar thinking, I have to remember that I'm singing at this Mass. On Sunday, I said to the organist, I'll see you on Wednesday, on Wednesday. It was Wednesday because it was the vigil of Ascension. Right, and on Wednesday, I woke up in the morning, I told our kids, I'm singing at Mass tonight. It was absolutely on my mind. But at some point in the day, it left. <laughs> this was tragic. I, I rethink this. What happened? How did I forget that this was my plan? But I utterly forgot that I was supposed to be singing until at almost 8 o'clock. Now the Mass was at 7. Our son John Paul said to me, <gasps> aren't we supposed to be at Mass? Oh, my heart started pounding. Oh, I felt so awful thinking of just them waiting for me, you know, up to the last minute to the start of Mass, and I just was a no-show. Do you remember what? Oh. That reminds me of something you might remember. Because I'm ha- as you're describing, I'm having the pit in my stomach that I felt that time I forgot to go to the confirmation. I was a sponsor for someone's confirmation. And I was getting phone call after phone call. I was so busy. I was involved in writing a book at the time, and I just had turned everything off. Yeah, you just decided to ignore interruptions. Ignore interruptions. But my phone was buzzing away, and I just kept ignoring it. Oh, no. Yeah, and I then I finally... you. Oh, no, they called the home. They called the home, yeah, and that's... the. The and young I heard, woman who was yes, being confirmed oh, oh, called. Oh, gosh, and, I felt so terrible. And Christopher was had agreed to be her sponsor, and it just went completely out of his mind. There's no excuse. You no. know you know, you're supposed to keep this commitment. Oh, that's always so painful. I actually was in, had some tears on Wednesday night, and I, Christopher was away and, I, and speaking, and I, I reached out to a friend, and, and she was assuring me, you know, the Father loves you. Offer your tears to him. I also emailed all the members of the music ministry to apologize, and one of them replied right away with a, a cute email saying, 25 Hail Marys <laughs> and an act of contrition, you know, kind of like, here's your penance. So that was, that 
was funny. We are human. We must accept our limitations. That's the way it goes. And I know in my life that has always been a struggle. Uh, I'm going to recommend a book to everybody right now that I just finished reading. Has really helped me with my just looking at my own limitations, my own, and accepting them that this is part of our humanity. It's part of the incarnation that the God who is Almighty took on the limited reality of being a human being. It's stunning. But anyway, the book uh, is by Colleen Carroll Campbell. She's a great writer. She's very insightful. The book is called "The Heart of Perfection: How the Saints Helped Me Exchange My Idea of." perfect for gods. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that's the title. We'll put it in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I would highly recommend that book. It's really, really good. Yeah. So Wendy, what questions do we have coming in? Thank you. You are the curator of the questions. Here I am with my handy questions ready to start. (laughs) I have a question here from a listener named Grace. And Grace shares, I've been physically and mentally recovering from anorexia mm, for a while. Bless you, Grace. Bless you, Grace. And I'm realizing that my soul needs healing, too. Is there anything in Theology of the Body that could help me understand self-worth and self-love? And then she asks, are these things God wants for me? Yes, 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 and yes. Bless you, Grace. Bless you, Grace. I think it's beautiful, Grace, just that, you know, that instinct to say, here, this is called theology of the body. Like, there's just like a a thing in your heart that's saying, this has to do with my body. How does God factor in? I think that's a beautiful instinct. Yeah, I want to touch upon maybe in a broader sense, and, and I'm, I'm, I have to remind my listeners here, I'm not a counselor. You know, this is not, it's not my field. My field is theology. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a theologian. And, you know, if we get more specific, I'm a theologian of the body because that's my, my specialty. But uh, there are deep issues here, Grace, and I'm sure, I hope anyway, that you're in good hands with counseling. If you're not, we also have in our show notes some counselors that we recommend so I really encourage you, Grace, to seek, if you haven't already, some professional help here. But speaking from the perspective of theology of the body, one of the things that has, has happened with our humanity as a result of original sin is there's a rupture between the body and the soul. And I love that you said, Grace, I, I recognize I need some healing in my soul. Yeah. Because we, we can't just think, oh, this is merely a physical reality mm-hmm. uh, because the body and soul is so intertwined. The body and soul is so closely united. Mm-hmm. And all of us are trying to, whether we know it or not, we're trying to reconcile the tension that exists between body and soul, which is not part of God's original plan. In God's original plan, there is a beautiful harmony between the spiritual and the physical, between the body and the soul. Mm-hmm. And we can have eating disorders of all, all kinds of varieties. One where I'm not eating enough, one where I'm, I'm eating too much. And, you know, on either extreme, we are in some way experiencing a difficulty holding the spiritual and the physical together. Our appetites, our appetites for food also point to a deep spiritual reality. Think of what is at the source and summit of our faith. At the source and summit of our faith 
is eating and drinking divine life and love. Fascinating also the story, the symbol that Scripture uses to talk about the original sin, where it all went wrong in our humanity, is also a story of, of eating, mm-hmm. but eating in a, in a disordered way, in a kind of grasping way. So the point is here, is this, Grace, that, and for all the listeners out there, you are putting your finger on something so profound about the unity of the spiritual and the physical and how eating is connected to it. There, there are profound mysteries uh, connected to, to eating. And of course, the most obvious, as I've already said, is the Eucharist. So when we find in our lives an eating disorder, the roots of it really are of a spiritual nature. And I would encourage you, Grace, yes, please spend time coming to understand and bringing into your life this vision called theology of the body. And if you're new to it, if you're just learning about it, I'd encourage you maybe to start with Theology of the Body for Beginners, which is a book of mine. Uh, If you're looking for a more feminine perspective, I'd encourage you to read a book by Katrina Zeno called uh, Your Body Reveals God. She can bring maybe a more feminine perspective to it, but do whether it's me or Katrina or Jason Everett has a great little book called Theology of the Body in One Hour, which is a quick read. It'll, It'll get you into the vision of what theology of the body is. Yes, yes, yes. Does theology of the body have something to speak to you here? Absolutely. Coming to understand the beauty, the purpose, the meaning, the splendor, the dignity of our bodies is the healing. It's an integral part of the healing that we need to learn how to embrace our bodiliness, accept our bodiliness, rejoice in our bodiliness. And when we are behaving in ways that cause bodily harm, there's something we're not seeing about the goodness, Mm -hmm. dignity, richness of our body. So, Grace, please know you will be in our prayers. I just just wanted to share a little bit too, Grace. I I was thinking of some specific points that JP2 makes in Theology of the Body that I think are, are good lights for this question that we see in Theology of the Body where the Pope looks at moments where Jesus is being confronted with questions about fallenness. You know, first it's about can we divorce? Divorce has all everything to do with our fallen state. Yes. And so Jesus' reply is in the beginning it was not so. And and JP2 takes us back to the story of God's creation. And as Christopher was just saying, the goodness of the body, the goodness, of, why do we say the goodness of the body? You know, look at God creating and saying, behold, it is very good. And then at another point in theology of the body, the question comes up about lust. And here again, we're talking about the fallen state of our humanity. And I think both of these things in divorce, especially at the time of Jesus, was kind of in the hands of a husband. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at something where there's a rejection of women and a not recognition of their dignity. dignity, And then, of course, the same is true with with the thing about lust. So I think these themes of the goodness of the body and the dignity of woman, that 
that Jesus is, keeps pointing to. He's just saying, look, look, this is what my Father intends for you. I think just taking that also to prayer, you know, almost like a refrain for the healing mm-hmm. of your soul, like a mm-hmm. medicine that you need to keep taking is that the goodness that God created and the dignity that he has given you as a woman, I think are two you know, words of Jesus, words of theology of the body that are directly for your heart. I, I want to add this onto the beautiful thing you just said there, Wendy, about this healing reality of this vision, that the reason theology of the body is so important for us is not because we have some great new teaching that's like the silver bullet that's the cure-all. Mm-hmm. The cure-all is Jesus. Yeah. And theology of the body is so valuable because it gets us in touch with the incarnate Christ. It gets us in touch with the whole mystery of God with us, God among us, the real reality that God cares about our humanity to the extent that he became flesh, and he's still with us today through the sacraments of the church. These are incarnate realities, bathing the body with water, anointing the body with oil, eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ, the laying on of hands, confessing with our own lips to another body, and the mystery of of husband and wife becoming one body. The sacraments are bodily realities that communicate spiritual healing, communicate grace. Theology of the body is not some new magic bullet teaching. The gift of it is that it reconnects us with the mystery of the incarnation. Mm. And there is your healing grace. And I love your name, Grace. Mm -hmm. Grace is your name for a reason. And grace is coming to grace through the body of Christ to help you on your journey, Grace, of integrating body and soul in your life. Please be assured of our ongoing prayers. Yes, for you, Grace, and for all our listeners who share this struggle. We do lift you up. Another question? Yes. This is an anonymous question. I grew up in a church environment where the use of contraceptives was not questioned morally at all. I'd love to hear you explain a little more about how the use of contraceptives relates to theology of the body, both in Christian marriage as well as in non-Christian secular culture. Sure. Wow, that, that's, uh, that's something that I've written volumes about. Uh, I would encourage you to dive into some of what I've written about it. You might want to get this... This is actually a shorter book I've written, a very quick read. The book is called Eclipse of the Body. That will give you a guided tour of the impact of contraception on the culture and the church and the state of the world today. We'll put that in the show notes so you can find more about that. But here's just a a little overview. The particular light that Theology of the Body shines on this issue is that our bodies tell a divine story. Our bodies are a message from God. They reveal something critical about who God is. And he made us male and female to be a revelation of his eternal life-giving love. This is what the very word gender actually means. It shares the same root as words like generous, generate, progeny, genealogy, 
genes, and, and here I don't mean Levi's, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, genes that we pass on. All those words share that gen word, and that Greek root gen means to produce, to, to give life to. That's what gen means. And gender then means, if you look at the root of the word, it means the manner in which you generate new life. Mm -hmm. So to speak of gender identity in the deepest sense is to speak about the manner in which you generate new life. Mm -hmm. This is where the sexual difference matters. This is where the gender distinction finds its raison d'etre in the natural order of things. You need a sperm, you need an egg for a new life to come to be. We used to call this the facts of life. Today, tragically, these facts are totally up for grabs. Mm. And the reason they're up for grabs is because we have, for nearly 100 years, we have had a concerted effort in the modern world to render our genitals unable to generate. Mm. This is what modern contraceptive methods and approaches have done. We, we now are viewing our humanity through what you might call um, sterilized lenses, contracepted glasses. Yeah. And when we do that, eventually the meaning of gender evaporates because the meaning of gender is the manner in which you generate new life. Mm. Well, if the prism through which you're looking at gender robs your very body of the ability to generate new life, eventually the word gender gets disconnected from its true meaning and it becomes a state of mind. But more than that, what theology of the body reveals is that when we render our genitals unable to generate, we are altering the divine story our body tells. Mm -hmm. John Paul II says that the essential problem with contraception, the essential evil of contraception, is that it's an attack on the sacramentality of the body. What does that mean? Your body is a sacramental reality in as much as your body is meant to reveal, proclaim, and enable you to participate in the divine mystery of life-giving love. When we render our bodies unable to generate new life, and the, and the word render is very important because there's a distinction here between someone who's rendering their body unable to generate and say a couple past childbearing years who are no longer able to generate, mm -hmm. or even a, a young couple who might long to have children but are physically unable for some mm -hmm. reason you know, that's outside of their control. So the word render is very important. When we specifically choose to render our genitals unable to generate, we're changing the divine story that our bodies proclaim. The body is meant to proclaim God is life-giving love. Mm. Right, Our bodies are theological. They're meant to reveal the mystery of God. And when a husband and wife come together as God intended them to do so, their bodies proclaim in the very act of becoming one flesh, God is life-giving love. Yes. But when we render that act sterile, we're proclaiming something very different. It's still theology, but now it's blasphemous theology. Mm because we're saying God is not life-giving love. And this is where we begin to see, like our eyes start to open up and we start to see much, much more is at stake in these questions than we initially seem to realize. In fact, it takes us to the very heart of the battle between good and evil, St. John Paul II says. And, and this is one of John Paul's statements that 
rocked my world the first time I read it in 1994, and I've been quoting it ever since in all of my, my courses. He said in his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, this is truly the key for interpreting reality. What is? Okay, tell me what it is. What is it? This is what he says. Original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. God has revealed himself not only as love, but as father, as life-giving love. And our bodies as male and female are meant to proclaim that divine mystery. John Paul says our bodies are prophetic Mm -hmm. because a prophet is one who proclaims the truth of God. But then he goes on to say, he says, whenever true prophets go out, there's a battle here between good and evil, between truth and lies. We're also going to have to contend with false prophets. And when we render our genitals unable to generate, we become knowingly or unknowingly. And that's important. This is not about wagging fingers or scolding people. We don't know what we're doing. We really don't. People have not educated us. Right? And here, here's my analogy. Like if, if this, I'm holding a water bottle here, which you guys can't see, but Wendy can see. <laughs> if, if this is poison and I don't know it's poison and I drink it, have I committed suicide? No. No, because I didn't know it was poison. But will it still kill me? Sure. Yes, because whether I know it's poison or not has no bearing on whether it is poison or not, and the effect will be the same. But culpability is not the same. Mm -hmm. If I don't know it's poison, I'm not culpable for my death. Most people just don't know. Just as this questioner said, this anonymous Mm -hmm. questioner said, I was raised in an environment where this wasn't even questioned. It wasn't talked about. I didn't learn anything about it. So we're not talking about assigning culpability, but if you know it's poison and I don't, and you see me going to drink it, what's the loving thing to do? Stop you. Well, who are you to impose your view of morality on me, right? That's foolishness. You're not imposing anything on me out of love. You're saying, don't kill yourself. Mm. This is what the church is trying to do. The church knows the impact of contraception. Mm-hmm. And the church is saying, don't drink the poison. So whether we know it or not, when we render our genitals unable to generate we become false prophets. Instead of entering into the sacrament of marriage that proclaims God as life-giving love, that bodily act, contracepted, becomes a kind of anti-sacrament, mm-hmm. a countersign. Rather than saying, this is my body given up for you, we're saying, this is my body not given up for you. It, it would be like, you know, there's so many analogies we could point to here, but one would be, Imagine that you really liked the taste of the Eucharist, but you didn't like the fact that it was going to bring you divine life or, or grace. And you went up and you, you ate the Eucharist because uh, you put it on your tongue because you liked the taste, but then you spit it out. I mean, we should have a visceral reaction against that if we know what the Eucharist is. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if we really know the sacramental mystery revealed by the two becoming one flesh, the thought of engaging in that act, the thought of activating the very powers that are meant to bring life into the world, but then rendering those powers of life that you are activating unable to do what they're meant to do, that should be just as horrific to us if we really understand what contraception is. And I'll just say this, and then we'll have to move on for the sake of time, but maybe the Catholic Church isn't crazy here. 
all the messes that we are in right now, the gender confusion, the breakdown of marriage in the family, the, the rampant pornography, the terrible, terrible state of affairs we are in today across the culture, all of this was predicted about 100 years ago when the promoters of contraception first tried to foist this contraceptive approach to sex onto the culture. Wise men and women understood readily that if we render sex sterile, all eventually all hell will break loose mm. in the culture. And if you want to really see the connection of those dots, I would urge you to pick up that little book I've written called Eclipse of the Body. And it will take you on a little tour through what has happened over the last hundred years and the role contraception has played. Yeah, I think each of us can probably start to recognize as you talk about the false prophets that we have heard messages from false prophets and not known that they were mm. false. Mm. I think part of the, yes. the reason that discovering some of the truths you were just sharing is so healing for people is that it gives us the tools to recognize the lies that were proclaimed to us as truth by these false prophets, yes. whether in close personal relationships or just from the culture at large, to be able to recognize that was a false prophecy and my heart is made for the truth. Yes, you know? amen. Judge the tree by its fruit. Mm. If it's bearing bad fruit, then... Let's see if we can get to the root. Now, I'll say this. If you love the direction the culture is going, if you love the confusion about the meaning of marriage, and you don't think it's confusion, but you think it's liberation that now two men can get married or two women can get married, or you love this idea that, well, I, I don't like the body I was born in, and, and I'm just going to get some surgery and become the opposite sex now. If you love the breakdown of the family and all that that's brought to the modern world, well, you have contraception to thank for that. So if you love all those things, then, hey, contraception's awesome. Look what it brought. Mm. But if you, like so many, are saying, how did we get here? Mm -hmm. And what do we do about it? I'll, I'll hold this out to you. And not as one who's always understood this. I, I had to go on my own journey to come to these conclusions. But if you are, if you are really questioning how did we get here, go on that journey. And inevitably, if you want to get to the root of how we got here, you cannot not engage the question of contraception mm -hmm. and the impact it has had. Just for the sake of time, we should probably go on to another question. Okay. But thank you to you, that anonymous questioner. Please keep the journey going. There, there are real answers to those real questions. So keep asking. The next question is from a listener named Priscilla, who says, I'm struggling on whether or not to watch the new season of Game of Thrones. I know it contains pornographic scenes, but even though I always skip in decent parts, there's a guilt in my heart whenever I watch it. I hate telling people I've seen it because I fear they'll be drawn to do the same and that it may cause them to sin because of me. Bless you, Priscilla. I don't, need, I don't think I need to say too much to you, Priscilla. I think your conscience is already doing a, a pretty good job for you. Mm. Uh, but I will say this. You're drawn to Game of Thrones, probably. And now I haven't seen the show. I, I, I'm not in that world. I, I don't know really even what it's about. But I, I want to just hold out a principle that's very important that we understand. 
that when we're drawn to something, it's probably because there are elements of truth in it that appeal to us. There are elements of goodness that our heart is drawn to. And you don't have to beat yourself up for that. You've already mentioned that you fast forward through the particularly disturbing scenes. That's a, you know, that's a good thing to do, of course. Um, but there are movies, for example, that you know, we've shown our kids knowing that there are certain scenes in them that we didn't want them to see, and we'll fast forward through them. The point is this. There are wheat and weeds that grow together mm-hmm. in our hearts, uh, in our families, in our parishes, in our communities, in our entertainment. What we really need is discernment to recognize where's the wheat, where are the weeds. Now, there are some things that are so full of weeds that are like majority weeds that we should not be even trying to find some little shred of goodness in it because it's just, it will overwhelm us with the weeds and we are weak Mm -hmm. and we have to recognize our weakness and not expose ourselves to those things that will be more trouble than it's worth even to find the little shred of, of wheat. But the question is, is Game of Thrones, does it have enough good in it that you can discern there's the good, there's the not good, and I can skip the not good to get to the good? I don't know, because I haven't watched the show. You will have to determine that. And as I said at the start, uh, your conscience seems already to be doing a pretty good job for Mm. you. It's true. And Priscilla, just so you know, you're not the only listener who's actually asked about Game of Thrones. Mm. So that's interesting. It's certainly on our a cultural mind yeah, right it's on the now, um, and I, I I think that's an interesting fact that our listeners are reaching out here and saying, "What do you think?" And as Christopher said, we don't actually watch the show, so we don't have a lot of specific feedback. But I think the points you just shared about discernment and recognizing that we are drawn to goodness and to identify where that goodness is, but also to know the vulnerability of our own hearts, I think is so important. Yeah. Thank you, Priscilla. I have an anonymous question that says, as a female who has struggled with porn, my view on sex has been distorted. While I know that sex is good on a head level, how can I more fully understand this on a heart level? Bless you, dear. Anonymous questioner, it's a question that all of us have to look at because all of us in one way or another have been affected by the cultural lies about our bodies. And you are right to make the distinction that knowing the goodness of our bodies and our sexuality at the level of of the head intellectually is one thing, but then knowing it in our hearts is another. And, And I've been on this journey my whole adult life and I still, I still encounter in my own heart areas that are deeply affected by the cultural lies that I absorbed growing up and continue. They, you know, the lies are everywhere. You can't drive down the street without seeing billboards. You can't go to the grocery store without seeing covers on magazines. You can't be in this culture without somehow being affected by these, these lies. I will tell you just a little bit about some of my own journey and hopefully that could shine a light for you. And and Wendy, maybe you might have something from your own journey that could shine a light too. But we've talked about this in previous 
episodes about the healing of memories. And I remember it was about three weeks before our wedding. Mm -hmm. And I had not been exposed to specifically to pornography for probably five or six years at that point. I had been exposed to a lot of pornography as a teenager. And then when I gave my life to Christ, when I was 20 years old, thanks be to God, I, I had not been exposed to it since then, really. And But this was, I was 25, almost 26 years old. We were about to get married in three weeks. And I was praying before the Blessed Sacrament. Specifically, I was praying about our wedding night. Mm-hmm. And I was worried. I was concerned because of lies in my mind and in my heart about about the meaning of our bodies, about the meaning of sex. I was, I was just praying, Lord, make me a pure gift to my soon-to-be wife. And right then and there, I started getting bombarded by pornographic images that you remember that I had remembered, right? That I remembered that I had seen. That stuff gets ingrained in the brain. And I had been on a long enough journey at that point to know that the solution to that is not just to pretend those things aren't there, pretend those images are not in my mind, but that Christ, through the power of redemption, through his death and resurrection, can untwist what sin has twisted up. Mm -hmm. This is such an important principle. I know I've said it before on this podcast, but uh, repetition is the mother of all learning. So I'm going to say it again. Mm Because sometimes we really don't believe it. (laughs) The devil does not have his own clay, Mm -hmm. right? Pornography is the twisting up of God's good clay. The good clay is the human body and the mystery of our sexuality. God made it. It's holy. It's sacred. It's beautiful. It has a divine purpose to reveal in the world the eternal plan of God that he wants to be one with us, that he wants to fill his bride with eternal life. This is the prophetism of the body, to go back to that expression. And this is why the enemy is after it. Pornography is a diabolic trap to prevent us from knowing who we really are and what the theology of the body really is. Or we could say it this way. Pornography is a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. Mm -hmm. A hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. Here's the good news. God can take those hellish mockeries and untwist them to restore the heavenly reality. So there I was three weeks before our wedding and getting bombarded by these lies, these pornographic images. And I I saw this invitation from Jesus. And it was like he was speaking right to my heart. I even had like a visual of it where Jesus was inviting me to bring all those lies, all those images in my mind and my heart and surrender them to him. And I was like, okay, Lord, here we go. We're going to do it. We're going through the catalog. I want this, I want this, these lies up and out of me. And one by one, I just brought those images, those distorted images up and out of my mind and heart. I said, Lord, you take it, untwist this lie and show me the truth. Lord, you take that distorted image and untwist it and show me the truth. Take this distorted image and untwist it and show me the truth. Mm. And I went through the whole catalog in my mind and my heart and just kept giving them to Jesus and letting him untwist them. And it was a long process to go through it all. Uh, And I will never forget at the end of that, I saw this image of the Christ child at the breast of the Blessed Mother. 
And the Lord spoke to me, this is what you've been looking for the whole time, to be fed in a holy, sacred way by the beautiful mystery of woman. And it wasn't for years later, like maybe 20 years later, in prayer, that image came up again of the Christ child nursing at the breast of the Blessed Mother. Mm-hmm. And, and what was spoken to me this time is, you are the Christ child. You are this child. Mary is your spiritual mama. Scripture says, desire pure spiritual milk. The untwisting of all that pornography became, and still as I journey, becomes more and more as I journey, a desire for pure spiritual milk from my spiritual mama. Mm -hmm. This is the healing that can happen. This is what we're invited to. Now, I hold this out. I'm just sharing with you my own journey. I had wise people in my life who could help me journey through these things. It may not be the right time and place to go sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament and conjure up images that you have remembered, right? I'm not just putting this out as a blanket recommendation. But if the Lord is leading you, be not afraid to follow Him. Don't go poking around in your own heart and your own memories by yourself. As my spiritual director says, go within, only with him. If he's leading you there, don't be afraid to follow where he's leading. There's a time and a place in our journey where we are ready for a certain untwisting. There's another time and a place that it might just cause more more harm. Mm -hmm. So I, I encourage you to find some wise spiritual direction to help you there, but I hold that story out to you as a, the real hope of a possibility of untwisting what sin has twisted. And that's how we journey from the head to the heart in knowing the beauty and goodness of our, our bodies and our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, for time's sake, I think we have to leave it there in this episode. I will say this, that we have been getting a lot of questions of a very delicate and intimate nature about marital intimacy and real problems, real questions, real struggles that married couples are having in their marriage bed. And I would urge you, please, to consider reading my Q&A book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, where I get into some of those very delicate questions. Uh, Sometimes the written format is a little bit better, uh, a better way to, to go to those delicate questions. So We'll have that in the show notes. We've also had a question, what are, what are the show notes and how do I find them? <laughs> well, I can relate to that because I'm terrible with internet technology myself. But just scroll down on whatever format you're listening to us. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and you will see the show notes where we list the resources we talk about or counselors or other little good little nuggets are, are there always in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Another thing you might want to consider is coming If you really want to immerse yourself in this Theology of the Body, consider coming to Theology of the Body Level 1 through the Theology of the Body Institute. It's a beautiful five-day retreat where we dive deeply. We call it the Head and Heart Immersion Course because the goal is to go on that journey from head to heart and let these beautiful teachings sink in in a transformative way. And the next course we'll be offering is, actually, we're taking it on the road. We're going to Cleveland from September 8th to the 13th, 2019, 
And you can go uh, again to the show notes and click the link for the TOB Institute website to learn more about that. Thanks so much, everybody. We've enjoyed always answering your questions to the best of our ability. It's great to hear from you. You are a gift. Live as a gift. Become what you are. Blessings. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Uh, We'll put that again in the clip notes. Cliff, clip, what did I just say? What notes? Show. (laughs) Show notes. Mark, edit that one out.